0: I recently had an informative sit-down with candidate for Chancellor Michael Mansfield, where we discussed what compelled him to run for office and how his experience has positioned him for the role he is running to get. In my brief time with Michael, I gathered he is one with laser focus and experienced in the practice of law. Thanks for listening in as I continue to get to know our candidates and the responsibilities of the positions they are all running for. Me about yourself, or how'd you get into law?
1: Well, I'm originally from the Crockett Mills community in Crockett County. That's a very small community. At the time I was growing up, it had a post office, a bank, three stores, three general stores of cotton gin, and uh, it was a wonderful and great place to grow up. Anybody who's grown up in you know rural Crockett or Gibson or Haywood County would certainly know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. When you grew up in the middle of cotton fields and. You go to a small school back uh, when I was in elementary school, that was before Crawford County consolidated, there was no Crawford County High School. Mm-hmm. So each community had its own school, a lot like, uh, a lot like Haywood County did years ago, a lot like Gibson County still does today. Uh, so coming to Gibson County and campaigning really taken me back to when I grew up, when every community had their own identity and had their their festivals and everybody in the community came together, Well, in 1983, The schools consolidated in Crockett County. So uh, we still have separate elementary schools, but the high school obviously is now Crockett County High School. Uh, I went to Hamilton Robertson High School in Crockett Mills, which was a very small school. There were about anywhere from 10 to 17 students per class. Uh, I'm not talking about per classroom, I'm talking about per grade. And so that was through the sixth grade. They were consolidated. They went through. um, Crockett County Middle School, and Crockett County High School. That's where I met my high school sweetheart, my wife. She was from town. She's from Alabama. so she was inside the city limits. She's a city girl. Uh, we <laughs> married. Uh, we started dating in high school. Um, I graduated, went to Mississippi State for two years studying agriculture. Then, uh, Leslie, my wife went to UT Martin. So when I was a sophomore, I transferred to Martin to be closer to her. Graduated with an ag degree from UT Martin in 1994. She was in nursing school and I had planned to go into agriculture at that point. Uh, But then I'm not really certain what it was. I know I'm a very good writer or I was a very good writer in college and have always enjoyed reading, writing, uh, researching, things like that. Uh, So uh, I guess it was a technical writing class in Mississippi State that let me know that I would be able to write and do something speaking and writing and things like that for a living so i thought well i'll take the lsat the lsat the entrance exam i made well enough on that that when i applied to university of memphis law school i got a full scholarship okay. so when someone gives you a full scholarship to law school sure you know, at least give it a shot so less and i left with the university of memphis i graduated there with honors uh graduated with highest honors from ut martin with a bachelor's in agriculture Les and I went to University of Memphis. She graduated with her uh, BSN, Bachelor's of Nursing. Uh, then I graduated law school, and you know, uh, it's just a good fit for my personality. Uh, it's a good fit for things I like to do. I like to read. I like to write. Uh, I enjoy speaking. Uh, that's that's a learned skill, though. I'm, 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 uh, at heart, I'm a shy guy, and so you know, public speaking. It took a while to get there, but I enjoy it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Then we left, we graduated law school. I I took a job at Rainey Kaiser Revere and Bell in Jackson, Tennessee. I've been there for 24 years. Uh, I had never had an inside job before that. I've chopped cotton, I've sprayed cotton, I've plowed cotton, uh, planted cotton. That was all that we had in Crockett County back then. I've scouted cotton, did that for three years, uh, four years actually, through uh, high school and college. Worked on a research farm for Dallaco Chemical Company while I was in law school for two summers. And then finally I got a summer job with Randy Kaiser between my second and third years. And I actually got to sit in an air conditioner all summer and work. So
0: Kind of nice, isn't it? It was really nice. Now, I still miss farming in the
1: spring. I really miss farming in the fall. But I do not miss it in the summer and the
0: winter. Yeah, that West Tennessee humidity is brutal.
1: Absolutely. And then when you work on a research farm, you get to go to Louisiana. mm and work in the middle of a soybean field, there's where real humidity kicks in.
0: Well, yeah, I I left that part of my little bio. We did live in New Orleans a couple of years. So. Then you know what I'm talking about. You and I didn't
1: meet for a few minutes before we started our podcast, so you've been around, but if you've been in New
0: Orleans, you know about humidity and the size of the mosquitoes that are, mm. that are there. Not just mosquitoes, but alligators or crocodiles. I can't remember which one they have. Alligators, there. Yeah. yeah. Okay, anyway. Yeah. And Both so I uh,
1: went to work at Randy Kaiser Rear and Bell, and then primarily defense work litigation ever since then, commercial litigation, uh, auto accident litigation, slip and pause, just anything really that deals with the courtroom. And then just any kind of breach of contract. I did a lot of fraud defense, arson investigations, things of that nature. I've uh, been in a courtroom ever since I started. And been arson research.
0: investigations. So tell me, what's that?
1: Well, if, if someone's house burns down and an investigator goes in, there's suspicious circumstances, then the insurance company will hire us to to take the depositions, the examinations, to do hire the experts mm-hmm. and decide whether it was a fraudulent insurance claim or not. Mm-hmm. Theft claims, we do all kinds of theft claims, arson claims. If there's something suspicious about it, uh, insurance companies generally hire us and then we. I also do some employment law work, advising companies and corporations on employment practices, discrimination claims, uh, Americans with Disability Act, uh, FMLA, all those sorts of things. But I've been doing that for 24 years.
0: Wow. I tell people, they say, well, what
1: kind of work do you do? Because I don't see you on a billboard. I say, well, those guys, that are on the billboards that you see on the TV and all, and they're talking about the evil insurance company that has all the money and the high-powered lawyers that are trying to keep you from recovering, they're talking about me.
0: Hmm. So you're the evil
1: lawyer? Uh, according to the guys on TV. Okay. So
0: you're protecting the insurance companies or are making sure that it's valid? The claim? Well, to understand, but most
1: of my work is actually in, uh, representing people, the insurance companies insurers. So my clients are actually, for example, if you have a car accident, and you call your insurance company, you say, I've been in an accident, I've gotten sued, what do I do now? The insurance company will hire you a lawyer to defend you. And I would be that person. I would be that lawyer that would come in and defend. For example, last Thursday, I had a jury trial in Dyer County. My client was a a driver who worked for a company that was based out of uh, Dyersburg, but my driver lived in Trenton. And so I had a Gibson County client that I was defending in a Dyer County circuit courtroom in front of a jury.
0: Mm. Do you enjoy the courtroom dynamic as a lawyer?
1: Well, that's interesting because my client actually asked me Uh, toward the end of that trial, end of the first day. know, I had been up and on my feet, arguing and and presenting things to the jury, picking a jury, putting on witnesses, all this kind of thing. He said, man, I bet you're stressed out. I said, I want to be stressed out at 5.30 today when I sit and open the email on my phone and see all the calls that I have to to do. Because this, when I'm in a courtroom and I'm only focused on one thing, I said, right now I'm focused on you, I'm focused on this jury, I'm focused on what I have to do. And this is what I'm trained to do. Mm-hmm. When I leave, I've got to return phone calls, return emails, give status updates, talk to clients, do all this kind of thing that will keep me up the rest of the night. Mm-hmm. That's when I'll get stressed. Right now, my blood pressure's fine, and I have, I have so much fun trying the case. I have fun getting cases ready, but everything it takes to keep uh, a, a very busy law practice going, that's the part that, that gives you anxiety, your blood pressure's up by the end of the
0: sure. day. Sure, yeah. Um, are you running as a, a Republican or Democrat or Independent? How, how are you running? Running as a Republican. Okay, and then so you're running for a position of Chancellor. Um, what does that mean to run as Republican for a judicial seat? What from a a layman, plebeian perspective? What you know, the average person. What does that mean?
1: Well, I guess there's a lot of different perspectives on what a political, having a political uh, party behind you means from for whatever sake. And here's the way I look at it. Uh, when I was first getting my campaign going, people would ask me, they, said, or they would tell me, you're going into the courthouse, you need to be an independent. People want independence in the courthouse. I said, but if you pull my voting record, I'm not an independent. I'm a Republican, and so I don't really feel that I should go and represent myself to somebody as an independent when 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 you can look at my history and look at what I do and all I know that I'm a Republican. But as far as the independence of the judiciary, when a judge gets elected, they don't answer to a political party. I'm doing the job. Mm-hmm. I'm there I'm there to do a job for the people who hired me there and to put me there. So the Republican part for me is that that's just who I am. And I didn't feel I didn't feel right. Trying to run as an independent, and, and, and I guess shy away from that. I want everybody to know who I am. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, people have different opinions as to whether people in the courthouse should have a uh, republic or have a party designation of being independent. And as far as independence of the judiciary or whether I would be holding to a party or anything. I don't make the political decisions. I'm not there to make a political decision. I'm there to listen to proof, mm-hmm. to uh, referee a gunfight between two lawyers, which I've been in a lot of gunfights, so I know how to do that. But
0: Not literally. Not literally, okay.
1: but you know, the, the, to referee the, the trial and, and to uh, make sure the rules are followed, proper evidence is, in, is uh, brought into the record, review the record, research the law, write the opinion, and make sure it's held up on the Court of Appeals. Okay. That's my job. So it's not a political... I'm not a political animal, I'm not a politician, I don't want to be a state representative or a state senator or have any other ambitions. I want to be a chancellor because I wanted to be, or I know I was going to run for this for 15 years. I'm actually on a sabbatical for my firm right now for the next 30 days. And I've been a partner for 17 years. A few years after I became partner, we instituted a firm policy that once every seven years, the partners can take a 30-day sabbatical just to unplug from the practice of law, recharge and all that. Well, I didn't know exactly what the timing of this election was going to be. Mm-hmm. So I've been saving this sabbatical for about 10 years <laughs> for this particular moment. And so I've lived my life, I've practiced law, uh, and, and I've treated people in such a way not, Well, I would have done it anyway, but I've known I was going to run for this position and sit down in front of you and sit down in front of your listeners and one day ask you for your support mm-hmm. and, not, and not shy away from that and be glad to get
0: it. Sure. Um. Help us understand, those of us outside the, the the circles of knowing what a chancellor is, what, what do you do as a chancellor? What, what's different from a chancellor than a judge? or, or What kind of judge is a chancellor?
1: Understood. Uh, General Sessions judge is generally the first judge that people would see in a county. They are a county-level judge. So Gibson County has a General Sessions judge. Crockett County has one. Haywood County has one. Then you have uh, – that's uh, – Speeding tickets, criminal cases, uh, 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 disputes under $25,000, no jury, and uh, the rules of civil procedure don't apply. You come in and the judge just makes your decision to to resolve the dispute quickly and efficiently. Uh, The circuit court judge, which is what Judge Peoples does, uh, he has original jurisdiction over criminal cases and also original jurisdiction over unliquidated damages cases, which are typically auto access, car wrecks that you hear about where lawyers are demanding a million dollars for pain and suffering and things like that. Those are unliquidated claims. There's not a specific amount of money that the parties are fighting over. So Judge Peoples Court, the circuit court, has original jurisdiction of those. They do not come to chancery at all. Chancery does not do any criminal work, uh, handle any criminal cases, and does not handle any unliquidated tort claims, they call it, personal injury with pain and suffering being uh, being demanded. The Chancery Court deals with civil issues only, uh, and it uh, deals with things such as uh, a lot of people know it as the divorce court or the probate court, deals with wills and estates a lot, but it also does a lot of other things, real estate disputes, uh, breach of contract cases where there is a liquidated sum of money and people say, well, you've breached my contract and uh, we need to either force them to perform the contract or pay me money for it. as I said, insurance disputes, and I was talking about the kind of things that I handle like that. Uh, whenever that get, those get litigated, that's a breach of contract because mm-hmm. the insurer, the person who uh, has the property, says insurance company pay me for my loss, and The insurance company says no, you're defrauding us, and so they sue for breach of contract. Those typically end up in Chancery Court. Chancery Court is also the court of equity. They call it. it issues injunctions if something is an emergency that needs to be stopped, or someone feels that their rights are being violated and a a sum of money can't later remedy what they're doing, then you would approach the Chancery Court to review a petition, issue an injunction to stop something from happening. So the chancellor has a lot of decisions that he has to make, he or she, that he or she has to make uh, based on experience, based on maturity, based on uh, an evaluation of whether there's an irreparable harm about to happen. And also the chancellor has to, particularly in divorce cases, sometimes in real estate cases, has to use the chancellor's discretion to fashion a remedy for best interests of the parties, such as children. A lot of times there's a best interest aspect with children Mm -hmm. in custody cases, and that chancellor has it on their shoulders to review the circumstances, listen to the evidence, and then fashion a remedy that will be the best possible remedy, best possible outcome for a child or a and a conservatorship for the, the ward, uh, things of that nature, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of discretion in the Chancery Court because it's a court of equity. Mm-hmm. Uh Chancery Peoples Court is called the Law Court. He, he takes the law, instructs a jury on what the law is. The jury listens to the facts, renders a decision, and judge Peoples approves that or disapproves it. The Chancellor has to run the trial, listen to all the proof, evaluate that, research the law, write the opinion, and The chancellor is the one that makes those decisions.
0: Okay. When you say uh, a court of equity, that word equity has a much different connotation these days. But you're not talking about the modern application of the word. No, you and I talked about this earlier. You said that
1: even the term chancellor uh, connotes an old English sort of thing. And that's exactly right. That's what it's born out of. You're not wearing
0: wigs in there and stuff like that. Not correct. Okay. Uh,
1: I was I was picking at Bradley Owens this morning at, uh, at uh, or actually last night at the Chamber event. He said, you know, we, had, we need to have a big hat and bow tie day in court. I said, yeah, well, if they do that, you make the litigants come in with big hats and bow ties, you're going to, have to wear the wig. Yeah. You know, no, we don't need that anymore. Uh, but then, that's where it started out. They were wearing wigs. This was the Chancellor's Court. So, uh, in, in years gone by and centuries ago, uh, the King of England. The King of England was the ultimate authority in the land. The king can do no wrong. You've probably heard that now. Sovereign immunity, some people hear that. The state can do no wrong. Well back then the king can not only do no wrong, the king would resolve disputes among his subjects. So if you had something that you would go to the king's court and the king would ultimately be the decision maker. Well back to
0: King Solomon. Exactly.
1: exactly. Exactly. And so, uh, oftentimes the king's rulings would be harsh, mm-hmm. based upon antiquated rules, or based upon politics, or anything like that. And so, over time, people began to petition the chancellor of the of the Church of England. Mm-hmm. At that time, you had church and state were melding together. You had the Church of England, and mm-hmm. so they would petition the chancellor of the Church of England to try to soften the king's, to try to fashion a remedy that would soften the king's harshness at the law court. And so over time, the king actually clothed the chancellor with authority to hear certain kinds of disputes that required something more than the law could provide, something more than a yes or no answer. Gave it to the, uh, the court of equity Mm -hmm. The the, the Chancellor, the Court of Equity, the Ecclesiastical Church is what they call it. So it's born out of the Ecclesiastical Church. So that the church, the Chancellor, would be able to fashion a remedy that was in the best interests of the people. And Mm -hmm. so that's where the Chancery Court started in Old England. And so that was brought over in in the colonies. And so Tennessee, we used to be only one of two states, and we may be the only state that still has a separate chancery jurisdiction that has the, that has specific equity jurisdiction. In most other states, those have been merged, mm-hmm. and so now those kind of disputes, the, the equitable disputes, come to the chancellor for decision first. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is some overlap. Uh, the circuit court now can take jurisdiction of some of those things. So the, the, the lines and distinction between Chancery Court and circuit court, what judge peoples do, have somewhat blurred over the years, but we mm-hmm. do have a separate equity jurisdiction. And that's the type that I'm talking about, not equality or social justice, things like that. Mm-hmm. It is that you're essentially sitting in the seat of the uh, ecclesiastical chancellor from years gone by, mm-hmm. fashioning remedies to, to soften the blow and to, to apply discretion and mercy Mm-hmm.
0: To the law firm, um, is there one particular type of case that is brought before the chancellor's court more than any other? Is there? You talk about real estate and divorce and speeding tickets or whatever. You
1: know. Well, no speeding tickets. Uh, probably the biggest volume uh, would be would be divorces, uh, just because that's what unfortunately in our society today, there's a lot of them. Yeah. And so that would be probably the biggest volume. Uh, then you have real estate disputes. Uh, there's some, then you have wills and estates, obviously that's a big volume. So mm-hmm. you've got probably wills and estates and divorces would be the ones that come up the most. As far as the ones that require the most thought and the most, uh, the most skill and experience, it's probably with the insurance part of it, possibly mm-hmm. with the real estate part of it, somewhat with wills and estates because in, in the divorce arena, there. Are, that's even though the chancellor has a lot of discretion, there are lots of statutory guidelines that have to be followed. So mm-hmm. there's a divorce and, and custody arrangements have been uh, have been legislated to a great extent. So mm-hmm. primarily, the judge's job in that in those circumstances is to is to run the trial, run the trial correctly. Uh, you know, make sure that the lawyers follow the rules and submit the evidence mm-hmm. and all that, and then make the decision based upon the rules that are given. Now, you've got insurance disputes. I, I, I the Chancery Court cases that I generally have end up in banker's boxes of documents because mm-hmm. you have multiple experts. You have uh, sometimes multiple insurance policies, which are thick contracts. If you've ever read your, your car insurance policy, well, then go pull a commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. Policy. And so the chancellor has to, as far as researching, writing, and all those sorts of things, the commercial litigation that I'm involved in, uh, the insurance, breach of contract type cases, also real estate cases, they have a lot of expert, construction type yes. issues, breach of contract. They have a lot of expert witnesses. They're very intensive. And there's a lot of rules about the chancellor is, or the judge is the gatekeeper. any expert witnesses so parties can object and say this person that the other side is proffering as an expert is not qualified to give this opinion well that's the judge's role first to determine whether that evidence even comes in Mm -hmm. and uh and so there's several files that that i have and generally the ones i have in change court are in bankers boxes Mm -hmm. of slam full of documents and those are the most time intensive and obviously Require the most uh, the most experience to get through because mm-hmm. there is a lot of research involved in those. There is a lot of proof involved in those types of cases. So, as far as volume, you'd be looking at likely divorces and uh, estate work. But as far as uh, judicial time
0: mm-hmm. and
1: courtroom time, you're looking at these other kind of cases: these breach of contract, commercial disputes, things of that nature.
0: Mm-hmm yeah i um i wonder what's going to happen with divorces and the numbers that will come out as we're getting out of covid you know I, like i shared with a uh, someone else that we're either going to have a baby boom or a divorce boom um what do you think might happen are
1: you I, I haven't put any thought on that <laughs> at all because i've been married for 27 years and my kids are teenagers now so i'm not I haven't really thought about what yeah. kind of boom might be coming down the road. Uh, you know, As far as from a judge's perspective, it's, if it's a boom of whatever kind of business, then it's kind of like how I look at a file in my office now. Once I get a file in, I have gotta figure out how to get it out. Mm-hmm. Some yep. cases have to be tried, some cases have to be mediated and settled, uh, some cases need to be dismissed. Mm-hmm. And so it's up to me to triage those cases, figure out which ones that I write the motions to dismiss for. Figure out the ones that I go and take the depositions, find the experts, uh, prepare uh, prepare my clients, take you know, uh, depose the other side, and get myself ready to try cases.
0: Are you what what compelled you to want to run for the position?
2: I believe that I can make
1: a positive difference in this judicial district, particularly in the Chancery Court. Um, I want it to be a court that lawyers want to try cases in. Now, you may not like my result, but I have the demeanor and I have the experience and the skill to to know how to treat lawyers, to know how to treat litigants, uh, and, and to let them know that when you came to my when you come to my court, you'll know that you had a judge that researched the law thoroughly, that knows the law by the time he makes a decision, that knows what proof should be in and what proof should be out, and is not Allowing things in it shouldn't be so that the lawyers know that the procedures are going to be followed and that helps with resolving cases because I won't be predictable, but people will know that as long as your lawyer can research the law, you'll know pretty well where I'm going with it because I'm, I know I'll find it. Mm-hmm. And so I want to be I think I can be a positive difference in that and it's really uh, based upon just your your personality and your approach to the court. Uh, knowing that, I had someone tell me the other day about an adoption that, you know, when when someone adopts a child and they've been waiting for months and sometimes going through litigation to get there, right. that that's as big an event in that courtroom as if you were in the hospital mm-hmm. with that family. And so, as a judge, you should know that that's a big deal for that family and you should make that family feel like, from the court's perspective, it was a big deal. Sure. And those are the kind of things that, that there's little things. And also, you know, there are some tweaks to the local rules and things like that 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 can be done that makes the court more efficient, easier on lawyers, where lawyers like to litigate. When you make it easier on lawyers and lawyers know what the rules are, they know your trial judge will try a case, will get you on the docket and get things done, they start doing things. Mm And they, just like I said, when a file comes into my office, I'm figuring out, how do I get this out? Mm-hmm. Lawyers are doing that every day. I want to be the judge that helps these lawyers, and helps these litigants get to a decision. They may not like my decision, but it's a decision that brings closure to these issues. A lot of them, especially in divorce estates, things like that, there's a lot of emotion tied up in that. Mm-hmm. Well, time heals a lot of wounds. But it doesn't, time can't start healing that wound until there's some certainty, mm-hmm. until there's a point where you know this is what I've got to deal with. Instead of something hanging out for years and years or something, you can't get into court or things don't go right. You know, I plan on being as accessible as possible. You know, If we need to have a Zoom hearing, if we need to do something by telephone, whatever I can do to help get the parties to that closure. Now, being a lawyer, I understand that cases take time to get together. You cannot fast track every case because if you do, then yeah, you make the decision, but it's going to be the wrong one because the evidence isn't uh, hasn't been marshaled well enough. The experts have not come in. The proper things have not been done. Uh, so uh, I, I don't intend to. I don't intend to, and uh, I certainly I won't. But not only what I don't intend to, but I won't. I don't I'm not going to be a judge that's going to be looking at my numbers because judges have to report the number of cases that they resolve and they close to the administrative office of the courts and then you're ranked among other lawyers I'm used to being ranked by insurance companies mm-hmm. uh, insurance companies have metrics if they compare me they can compare me as a partner in a firm to a partner in New Jersey mm-hmm. to a partner in Florida I'm used to that kind of thing and I understand so I'm not so I'm not worried about hitting my numbers to make people, the parties and litigants and lawyers in front of me help me make my numbers. I'm not going to force something that just to
0: sure. make myself
1: look, if that makes sense. But when there, is, when there are cases that can be resolved, I want to be there and make sure that these parties get to closure as soon as possible, as soon as the case is ready, do what I can to push them along and make the rules of the court and the demeanor of the court such that it's easy for lawyers to make, get their cases through. But when cases need to be worked and there's additional things, then I want to make sure that I assist the lawyers in whatever way possible to get the best case in front of me because I'm gonna be the one making the decision. I'll be the one writing the opinion that has to be upheld by the Court of Appeals. So I wanna make sure that everything is in front of me in proper order so that I'm the least reverse trial judge in the state of Tennessee because I run my courtroom correct.
0: Talk a little bit more about the, the numbers component you bring up, uh, reporting your numbers and that, that, that process is, that concept is totally foreign to myself and I imagine anyone outside the court system. What it is that a checks and balances thing or a quota or you know, what does that mean?
1: Now, typically what uh, typically the numbers I'm talking about, the administrative office of the courts is the essentially the governing body. The Supreme Court governs lower courts, it also governs attorneys, it is over the Board of Professional Responsibility, the Board of Judicial Conduct, so all of this flows from the Tennessee Supreme Court and the Administrative Office of the courts, which is a branch of the Supreme Court, essentially. And so, uh, most of the reporting and the numbers that I'm talking about, they require, like, when you file a case, you have to fill out a civil case cover sheet, so they know the, the AOC knows the number of cases that are filed in every county, every judicial district, and, and before every judge. And they, then at the end of the file, the clerks have to report that that file's been closed, that what the disposition of it is, and okay. so they keep up with dispositions as well. And I, also, so that along, the numbers of cases that are open, the number of cases that are closed, and the populations of the judicial, judicial district feed in the information as to how many judges you need. For example, Shelby County has three chancellors and nine trial judges in Shelby County. Well, you have to decide whether to drop a judge off that, whether to add a judge as, as population changes. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you have, uh, like, there's a two-county district in Dyer and Lake County. Well, depending on population changes, they may need to add a judge to that. They may need, uh, may need to add a county to that. So those are kind of feeds into the redistricting thing. You talk about the redistricting uh, mm-hmm. of state reps. Well, even though our judicial districts and all and the number of judges we've had has remained static for a long time, things can change dramatically. Just like in Gibson sure. County, you've got Tyson and FedEx and all these other businesses open up. In Haywood County, you've got Blue Oval City County. That's
0: what I was about to get to. What is all that gonna do?
1: And so the numbers that I'm talking about helps inform the Supreme Court and then inform the legislature Okay, we need additional judges. We need additional prosecutors. We need less judges. We need less prosecutors. Mm-hmm. And it's all a very slow process, especially with the judicial branch because we're a separate constitutional branch of the government. Mm-hmm. So it's not—it doesn't get changed easily. But those—that's the kind
0: of data that they use. I imagine you bring up Blue Oval City and Haywood County and Ford Plant, all that coming. I imagine that population is going to see a significant uptick in the real estate world there we heard during one announcement they anticipate the hiring of about 90,000 subcontractors to fully construct this this city and i pulled over one day off highway 222 exit 42 And I just pulled over and talked to a sheriff deputy down there. And I said, what can you tell me about what's going where and when and that sort of stuff? And he said, well, right behind me, I've got this new fire station. And over here, you know, he gave me basically a tour. And do I imagine, how is the chancery Court going to position or prepare for that sort of influx of, they say, maybe 6,500 full-time employees? I imagine there's going to be a... Some land disputes and, Lord forbid, more divorces coming into the area. You know, any thoughts on that?
1: You know, uh, I live in Haywood County currently. I have born and raised in Crockett County and lived there essentially all my life up until January first, of twenty twenty one. So mm-hmm. I moved right across the river. I still have a Bells address in Crockett County, okay. but I moved right across the river to Haywood County. So. As part of not only campaigning, but moving into a new county, then I've tried to stay abreast of Louisville City and what's happening and all that. So the 90,000-person number that you quoted, I, uh, I've heard 30,000 is generally the word that I get. Between 20 and 30,000 construction employees, they won't all be there at one time. No, But there are issues with trailer parks. Obviously, there are issues with border zoning appeals. Those are the kind of things that become the change record. That's another uh, municipal dispute because they have what what's called a writ of mandamus. If a uh, governmental official refuses to do their duty for whatever reason or someone thinks they did their duty incorrectly, then, uh, for example, a board of zoning appeals decision comes down. And the board of zoning appeals is citizens. It's a citizen body that's appointed by the county commission that hears uh, zoning disputes. All right? So they'll make a decision, and even though they're just regular members of the community, their decision has legal weight. Well, if someone disagrees with the Board of Zoning Appeals uh, decision, they issue a writ of madness, and they cause the file from the, uh, the Board of Zoning Appeals and all the evidence submitted to that body to come to Chancery Court. So if the Chancery Court judge can then review the file and make sure that these people admitted the evidence that they should have, and they filed the law, and they make the decision. So certainly I think there will be an uptick in things like that. Uh, And I've been through that process as a lawyer on more than one occasion. Uh, I'm familiar with all those kind of things. As far as the volume of work, you know, over year over the course of years, you'll have these employees, a lot of them will be living in outlying counties. They won't necessarily move to Haywood County. They won't necessarily move to Crawford County. So I've heard that the, the best estimate right now is that Haywood County may see a population increase full time of 6,000 residents. Hmm. But you will have additional people who are in the county uh, doing different things. There may be some uptick in divorces and things like that, but nobody really knows. Everybody knows that it's coming. Everybody knows that it's going to be a big transition, that there's going to be more work to be done. But uh, as of right now, as far as numbers and all that, I think that we're several years away mm-hmm. from there being a significant impact on the on the Chancery Court system. Okay. Now, from the criminal side, you talked about sheriff's dignity. I know that from the policing standpoint of it, there will be an immediate impact, a much more immediate impact on them. There will be a much more immediate impact likely on the General Sessions Court with traffic tickets, assaults, things mm-hmm. of that nature. And then likely somewhat to uh, Judge Peoples Circuit Court, there will likely be a more immediate impact. Mm-hmm. Then later on, the Chancery Court likely will have an additional, uh, an additional caseload, but those are things that you work through as you as yeah. you go along, and yeah. and having two judges, uh, uh, the circuit court and the chancery court are the same level of court. Even though we have different uh, the original jurisdiction, mm-hmm. the judges can interchange. Oh, That's so if Judge Peoples has such an influx that, that he's behind, but the chancery court still has mm-hmm. some time that you know, I can interchange into, and I can I can try criminal cases, mm-hmm. I can try jury cases. And as a matter of fact, the case I referenced earlier, Dyer County I mean, Chancellor Tony Childress tried my personal injury jury trial by interchange hmm. because the circuit judge recused himself.
0: Okay. That's very interesting. Yeah, you, you asked me early, early on what, in, what interests me about law, and part of that is it addresses human nature. So it, you, you said we'll see an immediate uptick on maybe assaults and stuff like that. To me, you know, law is there because of human nature because of our, you know, I'm a Christian, because of our human nature to do ill towards others and ourselves in a lot of ways. Which brings a question to mind for me, what what is the most interesting thing for you, you know, as a, the role of chancellor? What is the most interesting component of that position? Uh, well, as I said earlier, you
1: know, the my nature is to, be, is to read, to write, to research. Uh, the two parts of my practice I love the most are being in, in trial, trying to case, because I'm totally focused on that. I've already prepared, I know what I've got. Uh, I don't have any real concerns of what the other side has because if I know what I have and I've prepared well enough, then regardless what they throw at me, mm-hmm. I'm ready to go. Even if I see a curveball, I should have seen that curveball coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so being on my feet in a courtroom, uh, it is probably that is the equivalent to me sitting in my office all day long for eight hours researching and writing a motion for summary mm-hmm. judgment which is a, a, a rule of civil procedure that you can throw a case out you, you say there's no disputed facts in this case, here's the law if you take the undisputed facts of the case and apply this law that I've written and given to you then they should be dismissed mm-hmm. that's a high level overview but those typically take a long time one of the last ones I wrote was 54 pages, double-spaced type written, Wow. with law and, and argument and all that, and again, it allows me to focus on one thing, mm-hmm. and so that's what the Chancery Court does. The Chancery Court is in trial, and I will be a different participant in that, but I enjoy trial work. I enjoy being in the courtroom. I enjoy watching good lawyers awesome. try cases. Uh, the, uh, You know, people have asked me, you know, what makes a good lawyer and all this. I would rather try a case against the best lawyer in town than someone who doesn't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. It's so much fun to try cases with good lawyers. There's there's little that's better than two lawyers, two really good lawyers that know the rules and know how to do things Our chancellor um, in that last case, and often uh, said, you know, in my my case, he said, you know, there weren't many objections in this case. It was well tried. And so if you can try a case and nobody objects to something, well, you didn't quite do your job. There needs to be an objection somewhere You would, you weren't pushing the envelope, right? Mm-hmm. But good trial lawyers don't go looking for things like that. And mm-hmm. so I enjoy being in trial, I enjoy uh, trying cases, so uh, that's part of being a judge that, that really appeals to me is let's get some cases tried, mm-hmm. because I enjoy doing that. Then the mm-hmm. other part is the chancellor, this is why this position is suited to me is because the Chancellor also has to sit and research the law, write the opinion, and make the decision himself or herself. Mm-hmm. So you know, I listen to the law one day, I'm in trial all day one day, if I've got to sit at my desk the next day and research everything and write the opinion, those are the two things that, about my practice that I love.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, what might you anticipate being the most challenging aspect to the position?
1: uh continuing likely with the uh, with the political part of it you know once you're a political candidate, then even though the judgeship is not a political job then you're going to be involved with the the political issues of three counties and then also uh, from the state with regard to as you and I talked about the additional sheriff's personnel, additional, Possibly additional court buildings, courtrooms, all those sorts of things. The the political part of it doesn't necessarily appeal to. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I enjoy you know every you know I, through all these campaigns, I have met a tremendous number of county officials and city officials, and they are all wonderful. Mm-hmm. But they all have their own issues that they have to deal with. Everybody, there's a lot of other issues besides just the course that they have to fund, that they have to deal with, and all that, and so at some point I know that during my career I'll have to deal with with that aspect of it Mm -hmm. you know and and do uh you know additional political work that I'm that I enjoy I enjoy doing it but uh that's just that distracts from the judicial part that is what I want to do I want to go and be a judge do my job do my job very well and then go back to my family Mm -hmm. but I know there's I know that there's parts of it that uh So as far as challenge, I don't know if that necessarily is challenging, but that's the part that I I know that
0: comes with the territory. Sure. You know, know, I, I imagine being a judge in the situation where you're handling estate or probate issues, you know, we run into that in real estate sometimes, you know, where someone didn't leave a will and then it goes to an estate sale and that being kind of a sticky situation or very dramatic scenario where you got those who, well, their parents didn't leave a will. So you can have these kids saying, no, I want to, you know, and they start fighting and, and same thing with divorce, you know, dealing with the, the dynamics of a family being ripped apart. And then there's kids in the mix. Um, that's gotta be challenging for a judge, you know, just being a human being, um,
1: well, I'll tell you about that, uh, my wife has been a neonatal nurse, neonatal intensive care unit nurse at Jackson General for 25 years. And uh, people have always said, I can't imagine that you do that because, you know, what do you do when the babies die?" Well, that's true. Uh, occasionally there are bad days like that, but the good days far outweigh mm. the bad days, just like my practice. There's days when I go home and my blood pressure's through the roof and my face is red and I just I can't get it to stop. But those days are not nearly as often as the good things. Mm-hmm. So yes, there's going to be stresses and you know, I'm a human and so there'll be terrible situations. You go to juvenile court if you want to see terrible situations. Go to juvenile court and sit for a day with kids that come in with no parent and they lost both parents or their their grandmother says they can't control them anymore and they've got to leave they don't have a garden, and all they've walked in is, is with their suitcase. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a tough day. But here's where I am in that, that if I can get to a decision, and if I can run my court to where that child gets to the place, the best place they can be, and it's not gonna be a perfect situation. Mm-hmm. A judge cannot solve the issues. All a judge can do is try to do their role, make the best decision they can, and give them a starting point to try to put their lives back together. Mm-hmm. And that's my focus. My focus is not on the emotional part because all these cases have emotion in them. Mm-hmm. They, they just do. And that's something a judge cannot fix. I can't make you happy. Only Jesus Christ can give you joy that makes you be happy in any circumstance, just like Paul in the Roman prison. And so I can, if I have a chance to witness to someone, then that's where I can help with the emotional side of it. But that's not my job as a judge. My job as a judge is to look at a a bad situation with two likely bad alternatives Mm -hmm. and pick the least bad alternative. And give them certainty, and not only give them certainty, but give them certainty in such a way that it gets upheld on the court of of appeals. Mm -hmm. So that you stop the litigation process and you start the healing process. So yeah, there'll be bad days, but my focus is not on making people happy. That's
0: impossible. Sure. I can't do
1: that. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ can, I, I can.
0: You brought up uh, those days that are tough. You get back to your, your office and stressed out or whatever from the day. What do you do to de-stress? What do you do to chill out? How do you handle that part of your life?
1: Before I started campaigning, I'd go deer hunting, duck hunting. I'd swim in my pole. I I'd, uh, I'd grow a garden. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the good d- Do anything that, that my kids were doing. You know, uh, for 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 years and years, for fourteen years, I coached ball teams. Uh, I was a president or I, was a, uh, I ran the Dixie Youth softball program in Crockett County. Uh, we won two state championships for my daughter's softball teams. I was assistant coach on my kids' baseball team, my boys' baseball teams. We won two state championships and lead wow. on that. Uh, I, I was the flag football president, ran the flag football league. I won six Super Bowls out of I, you know, I did nine Super Bowls, won six of them with two of my boys. I coached soccer for all three of them, they didn't last too long in that, about three years each coached uh, basketball, the basketball teams up until they were in the sixth grade. So my life for years was the softball season and baseball season started. We went all the way through to the first week of school playing state championships and league ball. And then the next Saturday I would have flag football sign-ups and run the flag football league. And then as soon as that ended, I would sign up for basketball and coach basketball. And then as soon as that ended, I'd have softball sign mm. And then two of my boys, they shot skeets with the Haywood Young Guns. Uh, One of my sons is a three-time national champion in that, so we spent some summers in Columbus, Ohio shooting skeets. Uh, And then my kids, uh, my daughter played softball and volleyball through high school. Uh, Her senior year, her junior and senior year, Crockett County went to the volleyball state champion or state tournament in Murfreesboro (laughs) in those two years, so we played volleyball. And then as soon as that was over, we would start softball with her, so watching my kids play sports and all. Now, Hadley, my daughter's a freshman at Mississippi State. Uh, I've got a son that's a senior, a son that's a sophomore. My two kids, my two sons, uh, they decided they'd rather work and go to school, so they're not playing sports. And so as soon as that got over, as soon as Hadley graduated, essentially I started politicking. Mm -hmm. So really I don't know what I'm going to do if I ever get any free time again. Mm -hmm. uh, Because I went duck hunting once this year, I went deer hunting once this year. Oh. I plan to change that dramatically somehow because uh, I won't be campaigning. I won't have a, a full time, very stressful legal practice plus a campaign on top of it, one way or the other.
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, I went by pretty oh, quick. Wow. Um, anything else you want to share before we get out of here today? You know, just
1: uh, I, I would love for people to, to
0: look at the qualifications
1: of. Uh, where I've been, what I've done in my life, and uh, compare that to my opponent. And I know there's a lot of people that I don't know that I haven't met personally. I've tried my, I've tried diligently over the past year or so. Even though I've known I was gonna run for this for a long time, I've not been a politician. I've been on the ball field with my kids. I've mm-hmm. been raising kids for a long time. And you know, I live in Haywood County, grew up in Crockett County. I'd like for people to know that, that my community is not my address. Mm-hmm. Where my community is where I pour my heart, my soul, my passion, my time. And so at this point in my life, this is where I feel that I need to be. I feel led to do this. I feel, I, I prayed about it years ago. This is not a, a difficult decision for me to run for chancellor because I've known that I was supposed to do this. And so I've tried to meet everybody that I can personally. I'm gonna be off this month trying to meet everyone that I can personally. If I don't meet you personally, uh, decide whether you want you know, if you may, you may know someone or something uh, and not look into the chancellor position at all, uh, I just encourage people, don't vote for your friend. Vote for someone who can do the job. Look into it, do your research, and starting next Wednesday, I believe I need to be your chancellor. I want to be your chancellor, and I look
0: forward to meeting you as your chancellor. Well, very good. Thank you for your time, and uh, wish you the best in your campaign here. Thank you, Rob. Okay. Enjoy it. Thanks for listening in and be sure to stay tuned for future episodes. This podcast can only get better, right? I realize this. Your patience is appreciated. I genuinely am interested in learning how to not only be a concerned citizen, but an involved one. And this podcast is such an attempt. So thanks for listening in. And if you feel so inclined, a solid review would help me continue developing this endeavor.